Welcome to Know Your Bible, a program presented by the Churches of Christ and devoted to helping you understand God's Word. The Bible is a book inspired by God that contains answers to your questions. The Bible reveals Jesus and explains His sacrifice, contains God's plan for the family, and timeless principles of parenting. Also has the truth about life and death. The Bible contains great financial advice and also answers questions of morality. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Welcome back to Know Your Bible. Good day to study the Bible, and we're glad you've joined us today as we look at some of your questions. And that's what we do here is answer viewers' questions. Uh, you get to decide what happens on this program. You can do that with the phone number and the website at the bottom of the screen. Use those any time to get in touch with us. Give us a question. Uh, tell us what you've always wondered about the Bible. Or maybe something happened this week in your family or work or somewhere you thought, I wonder what the Bible would say about that. Those are the kind of things we're happy to try to find answers to in the Bible and help us all know our Bible a little bit better. So uh, let us know what you'd like us to talk about, and we'll get to it just as quickly as we can. I'm Steve Tandy, and i got two highly qualified gentlemen here to help me. Toby Levering's back. Good morning, Toby. Good morning, Steve. Uh, Jeff Martin's here. Hi, Hi Jeff. Steve. Glad you guys are here and studied up on some of these. Uh, our viewers always get the first one, though, so here's yours for the day. Uh, how many siblings did Jesus have? Uh, give us the number, and we'll uh, give you the answer to that at the end of the program. So see if you know a, a little bit of uh, Jesus' family history. All right, looks like Toby drew number one today. Mm -hmm. One we get every once in a while. People yep. wonder about this. Yes, and it is challenging. How do we honor an abusive parent? Well, in my answer here, I'm not going to answer all of the complexity of your individual situation because it depends on a lot of factors, I believe. Uh, there is a difference, of course, in uh, a child asking this question who is basically defenseless and innocent, and there's a difference between a child of a parent asking that versus an, a grown adult child who is either thinking of something that happened in their childhood or maybe being abused today. Also kind of depends on the abuse and uh, could be verbal, physical, sexual, could be also, I mean, there's a big umbrella, that term abuse. So uh, at the outset, I want to say this answer is not going to be comprehensive. I'm just going to give you some principles. Um, so first, the idea of Honoring someone simply means to recognize their position. Uh, we, you know, if you, you know, giving honor to a police officer just recognizes their position of authority. Uh, there, many police officers do good. There are a few bad apples, of course, as with everything. To honor your teacher would mean to to listen to them and to respect them. It doesn't mean all teachers are perfect, and there are certainly a few bad apples, but you honor their position, their title, the authority that they've been given in your life. Well, so when we say honoring your parent, you recognize the position of authority that God has placed in your life with that person. They, You only get one set of parents, a mom and a dad. That's how that works. And and there are some parents that do a wonderful job at that. And there's certainly a, a few bad apples that uh, 
that don't do well at that. And the question is, how do you give honor? Well, I think that's going to look different. <laughs> but I think, you know, for a, a very abusive parent, uh, what, however they abused you, I think you can still recognize could be something as simple as saying, Dad, I know you're my dad. I understand that God has placed you in my life, and, and I do love you as my dad. And you can also still say, and I recognize that that behavior is wrong. Uh, whether it's verbal abuse, sexual abuse, physical abuse, uh, that's not right. And so just because you um, honor someone doesn't mean that you have to accept uh, abuse. It doesn't mean that you have to accept sinful behavior and you're not, by honoring them, condoning that behavior. And if you're being abused, it's not an honorable thing to just let yourself be abused. That's not what honor means at all. So um, do the best that you can. If you're being abused and you're a child, you need to talk to a teacher, a police officer. You need to talk to someone in authority and let them know that's not right. And you can still honor them as your parent. And at the same time, you can be safe and and know that God doesn't want you to be abused. And if you're a grown child and you were abused in your past, you can still honor your mother or dad and I hope that you can come to a place of forgiveness, uh, even if they never ask for it. Um, that's a hard thing to do, but can be done through Christ Jesus. It doesn't mean you have to continue being abused or to believe that that abuse was okay or uh, never acknowledge it. Uh, it just means that you move past it and make peace with it. Uh, let's look at a verse from Ephesians chapter 6, verses 2 through 4. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you, and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. And then he adds this, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. Children have a lifelong responsibility to do the best they can to honor their parents as children, as grown adults, and in their, uh, as parents age. We, we have an obligation, certainly if you're a Christian, to do that. And parents have an on, obligation as well to care for their children and bring them up in the right way. And that certainly in, includes not abusing them. I hope that gives you some help uh, and guidance <clears throat> to honor your parent if they've been abusive to you. All right. Classic Bible question here. The viewer says, the Bible says, faith without works is dead. Now, what is meant by works in the Bible? Well, let me say that's been debated for 2,000 years, uh, especially for the last 500 years since the Reformation movement. Uh, what's works mean? So let me just solve that in two minutes here. So, <laughs> this, this has been debated for 2,000 years. Uh, I, I joke, but actually I think it's fairly simple once we understand it. Uh, the application gets a little tricky, but the understanding the basics is pretty easy. I'm going to show you two verses that present the controversy. So let's look at Ephesians 2 first. Uh, Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9. And Paul says here, For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So that settles it right there. We're saved by grace, not by works. Works do not save us. Uh, we got it all settled, right? Well, let's see what James had to say in chapter 2. And James said in 2.24, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Well, now we've got a problem, don't we? Uh, and what we've got to do is rectify those two. Now, one answer is just to ignore one of them. 
Well, that was Martin Luther's suggestion. Uh, Martin Luther had decided that the works of the, the Catholic Church, including infant baptism and all of that, uh, was not right. Uh, so he said works had nothing to do with it. It was faith only. And when he read James, he said, well, James doesn't count. Uh, we, ought to, we ought to throw James out. Uh, we ought to kick it out of the New Testament. Uh, so that's one reaction. But we don't do that. Uh, Ephesians and James are both true. We just got to understand it. So Ephesians says we're saved by grace, not by works. We can't earn our salvation. So that's one way works is used as a means of salvation, a work uh, that we get to deserve salvation. And that's one way to use works. Now, the other way to use works is what James talks about is good works that prove real faith. They don't earn salvation, but they come because uh, we believe in God and we do what he said. Uh, and James's example there is, is, he said, if you just say you believe uh, that Jesus is God, well, he said, big deal. Demons believe that. Okay. So they believe that Jesus is God, but they don't do anything about it. Okay. What he says is, a real person with faith, a person with real faith, will do something to show it. They'll obey whatever Jesus says. Uh, and those works don't earn salvation, but they prove or illustrate that there's real faith there. So those are the two ways to you work. One is, I'm going to do enough to earn salvation no matter what God says. And the other one is, because I'm saved, uh, because Jesus is who he said he is, and I believe him, I'm going to do what he says. Now, the application part gets hard in deciding what people want to call a work. Uh, some people say it's faith only, you don't have to do anything. Well, Jesus said, follow me. Have you got to do that? Is that a work? Well, that's not a work, but that's what you'll do if you really believe Jesus. Uh, Jesus said, repent. Is that a work? Well, no, nobody thinks that's a work. It's what you do because Jesus said to. Uh, uh, love your brother. Be baptized. Forgive your enemies. Love your enemies. Uh, all of those things Jesus said, they don't earn a salvation by doing them, but if Jesus said to do them, we do them. Uh, and in James's picture is if Jesus said to do something and you say, well, I'm not going to do that, uh, your, your faith is worthless. You're not saved by faith alone. You do what Jesus says. So those are the two ways to use works, and I hope that helps you understand that problem that uh, we've been arguing about for 2,000 years. <laughs> okay, Jeff's next, I think. Yeah, I think that was a pretty good answer in the time given, so Thank I you. appreciate Thank that. You. Good, good resolution. Um, my question is from a viewer who's struggling. It says, I struggle with lust. How can I fix this problem? And uh, it's a good question, and I'll, I'll tell the viewer, first of all, that you've taken a great first step, and hopefully you haven't just uh, written in, but you've also talked to, to people around you who love you, who can help hold you accountable, uh, and who can help you work through this. The Bible tells us in James 5.16, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. So, biblically speaking, you've taken an excellent first step. Um, and I would say, secondly, 
to take the privilege that you have of praying to God, of accessing God through prayer. And when you do struggle, pray. And alongside of that, read the Word of God. See what it has to say about your struggle, about the power of the Holy Spirit, about fleeing from temptation, uh, and read those verses and put them into practice. So confessing is number one, which you've already done. Um, Praying and reading the Word. And lastly, I would ask you the question, uh, and all of the viewers this question, it's a question I ask myself, what are you pursuing in your life? And maybe a better way to, to say that is, what are you consuming? What are you filling your mind with? We live in a world where when we turn on the TV or when we scroll through social media, uh, we can instantly fill our minds with garbage, and we have to be careful with that. In order to fight sin, we have to fill our minds with things that are eternally beneficial. So let's look together uh, at this concept in 2 Timothy 2.22. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Uh, it's, it's, no, it's no hidden thing that lust is a common temptation. In fact, if you look at non-believers, if you look at the world, they are quickly waking up to the realization that there are heavy consequences to giving in to lust in certain ways. And we also live in a world uh, that technology is so advanced that the availability uh, to fall into this tor- sort of temptation is immediately available and constantly available. So we have to become strong when resisting the devil through the power of the Spirit in this way. So again, I'll go over it real quickly. When you start to struggle, confess, pray, and read the Word, and pursue and consume righteous things. And that would be my advice to this viewer. Okay, great answer, Jeff. Thank you. Uh, The Bible is a Word of God, and we hold it in high esteem here on this program. And uh, think it contains all of life's answers, and we're glad that you tune in to uh, watch us answer a few of people's questions. But, uh, we, you know, we take a little time each week to advocate home Bible study, personal Bible study, getting into the Word yourself, and uh, learning a little bit more about it. So uh, we know a lot of our viewers do that already regularly. Uh, we know some haven't started yet. So we've got some tools that we think are a great help to Bible study. Here's a less set of lessons. There are eight in it. starts very basic. The Old Testament, the New Testament are the first two lessons. Uh, helps you understand the difference between those two big parts of your Bible. <clears throat> then we've got a, some more advanced courses that take you in a little more detail. Uh, keep you busy for quite a while studying the Bible with our tools and if you like digital studies instead of paper studies uh, we've got those just log on to oneway.worldbibleschool.org and they'll get you set up with some online courses that will uh, greatly increase your knowledge of the Bible and very interesting and very well done so those are all the ways we've got to study Uh, phone number, website tell us you'd like those free courses We'll get them started for you. So uh, study the Bible with Know Your Bible Study Tools. All right. Uh, we broached this subject yep. last week, I think, yep. about paradise, but uh, somebody wants to know a little more about it. So. Yeah, it's 
a question that people wonder about, as with all things in the afterlife. They want to know, what is the difference between heaven and paradise? Well, paradise is part of the Hadean realm, or what was also called the, the realm of Sheol. Um, and that just simply refers to the realm of the dead. It is where you go when you die. Now, in that realm, there are two places. Uh, there's paradise and there's uh, the place of torment. And they, if you want to just think of them kind of like a, a waiting area uh, for where you are going in eternity. And that hasn't happened yet. You wait there until Judgment Day. Um, but you basically know, as the writer of Hebrews says, you know, it's appointed for a, a person to die once and after that to face the judgment. So, so where you are in that realm pretty much tells you, not pretty much, it does tell you where you are going to be in eternity. So there's two parts to that, paradise and torment. And heaven is the eternal dwelling of God with man. That's where we'll be, for those in paradise, we'll be after uh, the final judgment day. Let's look at Luke 16, 22 through 24. It gives us a picture into the Hadean realm. Jesus says, The poor man died, was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in, and in Hades, being in torment... He lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I'm in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things and, like, and Lazarus in like manner received bad things, but now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. So this is a picture of the Hadean realm and uh, the picture is the difference between where Lazarus was and the rich man. And uh, the rich man was in agony and he was in fire and he was just begging for a drop of water. So it's a terrible, awful place. When we talk about the place of torment, uh, it is bad and you don't want to go there. Um, and so Jesus, of course, when he died, he promised the the, as we said last week, that the criminal would be with him today in paradise, which is the other, the other part where Abraham was. Now, heaven is the eternal place after judgment. Uh, Revelation talks about that, mentions it in chapter 21, verses 3 through 4. And John writes this, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with men, is with man. He will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be death, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And I think the key part to that is that God and man are back together. Are dwelling. We go from Genesis chapter 1 and 2 all the way back to Revelation. That's what, that's what heaven is about. It's not about mansions, pearly gates, golden streets. It's about God and man being back together in eternity through Jesus Christ. That's the difference between heaven and paradise. All right. Got a very 21st century question here. A viewer wants to know, is it okay <clears throat> to be gay? And I say it's a 21st century question because there hadn't been very many years when uh, that question wouldn't have meant anything. Uh, we didn't have a term, be gay. Uh, we talked about homosexuality and uh, th those kind of things, uh, but we didn't call it being gay. So to answer that from a biblical standpoint is very difficult because the Bible doesn't talk about it that way either. Uh, the Bible nowhere says anything about being gay. In fact, the Bible doesn't talk about being 
any kind of uh, sinner. The, the, the Bible talks about the acts as being sins. Uh, the Bible does mention a number of sexual sins. Uh, homosexuality, uh, same-sex sex is mentioned, uh, along with adultery and incest and fornication and pornography. Uh, lots of things are mentioned uh, as being wrong acts and things that we should not do uh, for our own good and for the good of society. But the Bible does not explain or even mention uh, how or why uh, the temptation to those come from. It does say we all have our own different temptations, uh, but it doesn't say how or why we get desires to do something that's wrong, that's immoral, that's an abomination to God. It just doesn't mention that. It just said the act is sinful and don't do it. Okay, so that's the way the Bible talks. Now, why it's hard for us to answer this question is because society has come up with this term of being gay, which implies or doesn't imply, it says that that's who you are. Having a same-sex attraction is who you are. In fact, that's the, the party line is, well, that's just who I am. That's the way I was born. God made me that way, so there can't be anything wrong with it. The Bible doesn't explain where that desire came from. Uh, it just says certain acts are inappropriate. So uh, <clears throat> there's the difficulty. Now, if I was to answer this question best I can using today's culture, I'd say, uh, if I'm asked, is it okay to be gay? Uh, I'd say it's, and you have to listen carefully here, I think it's okay to have same-sex attractions. Uh, nobody knows where those come from. Okay, uh, We don't know where heterosexual attractions come from. For that matter, we argue about whether it's the way we were raised, uh, whether it's the environment that we uh, were born in, what, all kinds of things we consider, but we don't really know. Okay, So put those on a, a equivalent level, sort of, uh, as people who have heterosexual attractions, uh, that's okay, but there's limits that God says, you don't do this just because you have heterosexual attractions. The, the only place heterosexual sex is allowable or good for you and good for society is in the marriage bond. Okay. So that leaves out a whole lot of things, and with God's help, we can control those desires. It's what we have to do. Okay. So same-sex attractions, we don't know where same-sex attractions come from. Is it okay to have them? Well, if you have them, you have them. But the Bible says you've got to control them, that practicing immoral sex is wrong. Uh, the practice of immorality is not okay, whether it's same sex or opposite sex. Uh, practicing immorality is not okay. So, like I said, it's very difficult because society has changed the definition of terms, uh, but hopefully I, I get Bible teaching in there along with an accommodation for what people today think being gay is. Uh, and I hope that explains it to some degree. All right, Jeff. Okay, I got a, a deep question. I had to think about this one quite a bit. Does God pay any attention to time 
does time make any difference? And I'm assuming you mean earthly time, so I'm, I'm, I'm going off of that, but I'm going to take you through my thought process and a, a scripture here, and I don't know if you'll like my final answer, but first of all, we know that God is eternal. We can, we can see that several places in the Bible. Second Peter 3.8 says, But do not overlook this one fact, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. So because we know for a fact that God is eternal, and because this earth is not eternal, and our bodies are not eternal, we know that God would have to exist out of the time that He created for us, if that makes sense. Which brings up all kinds of deep questions that I'm sure people have pondered over uh, for thousands of years. One of them being, does God even think about time, and does time make a difference? Um, I know for a fact God is concerned about time on earth as it relates to his plans. We know that from Romans 5, 6, which tells us that at just the right time, while we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. So as it relates to his perfect plan on earth, we know that God has some concern for that. Um, but since God created time, I'm not sure that he observes it like we do. So all of that being said, my final answer to this question is I truly do not know the answer. Uh, and the best that I can do is to show you a verse that I go to when I don't know the answer to be comforted, which is Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. So let's look at that together. <laughs> For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. I love talking about these things and thinking about them, but there are things, there are pieces of knowledge that belong to God alone, and this is one of those situations. All right, I'd, I'd answer that question for you, Jeff, but I don't have time. We, yes, we've got to get on here. <laughs> Let me invite you to visit a church near you, a Church of Christ. They're the ones that sponsor this program and keep us on the air. So we like to thank some of them each week, and here's a couple that uh, are longtime sponsors of Know Your Bible. Church in Great Bend, Kansas, and the one in Scott City, Kansas, out west. They're all uh, are both uh, believers in this program and uh, help us stay on the air. And we'd like you to thank them if you uh, know somebody from that congregation. Maybe uh, tell them you watched Know Your Bible and saw them advertised, and our uh, appreciate the program. So, uh, whatever market you're in, you've probably got a, a Church of Christ near you. Uh, drop in, visit them sometime. Tell you them. Tell them you heard about them on Know Your Bible. Uh, Toby, I'm going to skip yours. It's a little longer, I think, and sure. I've got a short one here. So let's go to the last one. Uh, viewer corrected us about a great fish. Uh, said you answered that Jonah was a great fish, not a whale. And Matthew 12:40 says it was a whale. So our viewer said it was a whale, not a great fish. Okay, here's the uh, uh, answer. The the translation is the problem in the Old Testament. Uh, Hebrew uh, uh, got a term gadal dog and it means great fish and in the New Testament the word that's used in that passage is just sea creature so it doesn't say what kind of fish it was now when the King James translators translated they got to that and saw a great fish uh, saw a sea creature and they thought well the only thing we know that could swallow a man's a whale so it must have been a whale uh, so that's why that's in the King James. Uh, the original language does not say whale. Uh, it was some kind of a large sea creature, and it may have been a whale. But also consider it may have been a one-of-a-kind. 
God could have created a special creature that was able to swallow Jonah. So we don't know what it was. A great fish is probably the best translation. Uh, but if you want to call it a whale, that doesn't bother me at all. Uh, Jonah and the whale is a classic uh, story. So uh, tell it any way you want. But literally, it's a great fish. How many siblings did Jesus have is our trivia question of the day. And the answer is at least six. We don't know the exact number. Uh, Mark 6, 3 says there were four brothers and sisters, so at least two sisters. Glad you've been with us today and hope you have a great week. Until next time. Know Your Bible has been presented by the Churches of Christ in your area. Churches of Christ are non-denominational and each congregation is an independent group of Christians seeking to do God's will. Our goal is simple New Testament Christianity. We follow the Bible as our only guide. Contact us with any questions, and we encourage you to visit a Church of Christ near you.